Are you ready for God's word? Yes. Today, I want to warn you ahead of time. We're, we're talking about David, okay? David. Now, David is, um, is an amazing character that we've been in. And uh, today, we're going to cover uh, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, okay? 11 and 12. You might think to yourself, man, that's a lot to cover because we finally reached that that famous story or infamous story of David and Bathsheba. We covered the Goliath one and we saw the beautiful act of God. This is not so beautiful. This story shows David's humanity front and center, front and center. And so I'm going to have you listen quickly and uh, we've got a lot to cover. So let's get into it. The message is entitled simply, what were you thinking? Isn't that true? What were you thinking? And we're going to do our best to learn from his experience. Come on, how many of you know that it's one thing to learn from your experience, but it's even wiser to learn from others? Because if you have to commit everything, you're going to have a hard life. If you have to hit that, and would you guys warm it up a little bit? Get Cody to warm it up a little bit. Ladies, are you guys good with that? It's freezing in here. So um, someone get Cody, tell him we need to warm it up. Come on. All right. Now, um, where was I at? I could just see all of you guys are like, Paula's going, it's hot. (laughs) Oh, Paula, I'm not going to go there. Um, we, we can learn from the experience of others. It's important to do so, in fact, to learn from the experience of others. How many of you like watching YouTube? In fact, I find myself spend, uh, watching YouTube more than I, I, I watch, you know, regular television. Because on YouTube, I can control the silly things I watch. And I like watching, uh, the, I like watching lumberjacks. Like, these, these guys, they, they fall. It's called fall, right? To fall a tree or to, to fell a tree. I don't know. It, it just sounds odd to me. But they bring down these huge uh, trees. They bring down these redwoods and they're hired to come bring down these trees. And they do it with such precision. They get the axe and they, doof, doof, they hammer the wedges in there. It's gorgeous, beautiful thing. If you haven't seen it, you'll get enthralled in it. And they, they have the different chainsaws. They know what to do. But then every once in a while, I like watching the guy that thinks he's a professional. And it reminds me not to be that guy. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Where he lines it up and he does all of these and he marks the tree and he cuts the wedge and he does everything supposedly right until it falls on his house. And it's always like a big surprise and the wife and him go running going, oh no, what did we do? It kind of reminds me of the guys that fry turkeys. Because I was hosting Pastor Andrew this past week, and we were thinking about what do, we, what do we do for him on Sunday dinner. He spent Sunday dinner with us, and we were so, so grateful for that. I got to share him with my family. And so I thought we can either do a Thanksgiving dinner, because Australia doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving. How un-American is that? <laughs> I guess because it's Australia, right? So we were going to do a turkey and uh, instead, we did chicken fried steak, which is so awesome. Southern, right? Yeah. 
And uh, have you ever done chicken fried steak with like, like prime sirloin? Oh, man, it's so good. Anyway, I'm not, you guys are getting hungry now. Come on, pastor, hurry it up. So, uh, so he was saying, well, you know, I heard frying a turkey is really cool. And I said, go watch some videos before you fry that turkey. Because how many of you know you got to have the oil right? You can't over, overdo the oil. You got to thaw the bird out. And, and how many of you know it takes more than like an hour to dethaw a turkey? Because people will drop this ice cold turkey in an overfull bat of oil, it overflows, and the next thing you know, they've what? Burned down the neighborhood on Thanksgiving morning, you know? And, uh, and it's funny to watch it, but not so funny. It's meant to remind us, and it's a good idea if you're going to fry turkey this season, to go get an idea of what not to do. So today, when you watch David's story unfold or his little video I want you to to see it unfold in your mind because he shows us how to commit an affair and today we're going to talk about how to commit an affair no like it's a warning guys not a how-to it's a warning that if you do dumb things you'll get dumb results you'll get dumb results and just like fire can consume, so can poor decisions consume your life. But this is the thing. This story is for everyone. Because Jesus went as far as saying, you know what, that thing you call adultery and you think only a few people do it, he said if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've already committed it. And that's where it starts. But I want you to also notice that David's sin is not just against Bathsheba, it's more so against Uriah. We'll talk about that next week. And not only is it against Bathsheba and Uriah, it's against God. Because what David, you'll notice what he does is he loses his first love. He loses connection with God. And that's where the sin starts. And so I want to challenge you here today. And I know that we're going to cover some heavy stuff, but, but stay with me. We're going to cover... These five basic points, we're going to talk about David being careless. We're going to talk about David compromises, he commits, he conceals, and then he compounds. We're going to learn from his story. We're going to know and notice that he reaps what he sows. It's not only the, the, the principle of sowing and reaping, but we're also going to see that David controls the inputs, and then he gets really flustered when he can't control the outputs. What does that mean? That means that it's one thing to what? Control your actions, but you won't always be able to control the consequences of those actions. And that's super, super important because the Bible says that a foolish person doesn't realize that. A foolish person doesn't realize that what you do will determine what happens. So stay with me as we get into it because the last time we looked at David, he had brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, into the city of Jerusalem, and things are going well. In fact, the Bible uses statements like this. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Come on, how many of you would love that to characterize your life? For them to say, man, God is just with you everywhere you go. How many of you would love that? 
Some of you are like, yeah, no, I don't want no victory in my life at all. No, I mean, that's a good thing. Now watch what else the Bible says about David. Chapter 8, verse 15. David reigned over all of Israel, doing what was just and right for all of his people. I like the way the message puts it. David, uh, God gave David victory, right? Wherever he marched, everywhere he put his feet, God blessed it. Isn't that amazing? Thus, David ruled over all of Israel. He ruled well. He was fair. What else? He was even-handed. And in all of his duties and relationships, he was just. Isn't that beautiful? So what happened? I'll tell you what happened. This highlight reel comes to an end. I mean, he's on a highlight reel. If you read these chapters, he's like defeating everyone. And everything he touches just comes up roses. It's just beautiful. But then we get to chapter 11, and you see a, a difference. Something interrupts this beautiful blessing march. You see it there. It says it happened in the spring. When did it happen? In the spring. At the time when kings go out to battle. What is David? Come on. He is a... So what do you do in the spring if you're a king? You go out to battle. Now watch what happens next. And David sent. Whoa, what do you mean? You sent? You didn't, you didn't went? Right? It should say, and David went. But instead it says David sent. So you're going to see something. These entire two chapters take place in David's home. The whole time he's just sitting and sending. He's staying and sending. That's, that's significant. Because watch. He sent Joab, his servants, with, and his servants with him. And all of Israel. Joab was the commander of the armed forces. And they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So David is sending and staying. This, this means, number one, he's careless. Why is he careless? Because he's not being mindful of his purpose. Whenever you're not mindful of your purpose, you're setting yourself up for distraction. Why? Because God has given you a purpose. And so many times we think our purpose is to work for retirement so that one day we can do nothing. No, your purpose is to work for the honor and glory of God so that one day you might experience heaven. That's your purpose. And when you miss that purpose, you can get into all sorts of trouble and create a bit of hell on earth. A bit of hell on earth. So David is not mindful of his purpose. David is a sedentary king, and he never leaves the house. He's not doing what he's supposed to do, joining the battle. Come on, how many of us know Christians? We are in a battle. And when you try to, when you try to avoid the battle of the Christian life, you set yourself up for what David's setting himself up for. Paul said, you're in a fight. And it's not a matter of whether it may happen. No, he says, be ready so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, the day of evil is coming. So you need to be what? Girded up and suited up like you know your purpose is to advance the kingdom of God and you are a Christian soldier, right? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching. Okay, got a couple of folks that still remember the old hymns. So here David 
is careless. We see that it goes quickly to compromise. What do we mean by compromise? Read with me. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. What is he doing in his bed at evening? Well, he is taking a leisure season. Be careful with leisure seasons. They can turn into laziness. And laziness, leisure that leads to laziness leads to lust. Lust, what is lust? Lust is in a desire gone wrong. What do I mean by that? There's good desires, but that desire that feeds the flesh is wrong. When it's just about your own personal fleshliness, it's wrong. And so watch this. Then David gets up at evening. What is he doing to sleep at evening? He has nothing to do. Everyone is at war. He's hanging around Jerusalem. He's just like, man, what do I do? It's hot. I think I'll take a siesta. I'll get up around evening time and just kind of... How many of you know that idleness, idle hands are the... Idle hands are the devil's workshop, the devil's playground, the devil's tools. The worst thing you can do for a son or a daughter is have him do nothing. You're presenting them to the enemy. Instead, put them on purpose. Have them do something. Worst thing you can do for yourself. This is why the Apostle Paul says things like, don't hang out. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.6. He says, stay away from any believers who live idle lives. That doesn't mean you can't be idle once in a while, but if that's your habit, you're setting yourself up. And, and the Apostle Paul says, stay away from people that don't, what? Get busy on purpose, on purpose. So what does David do? He's on his rooftop, and from the rooftop, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. You want to hear something interesting? The word behold comes from the old English word, by and hold on. By means thoroughly. The holding part means to hold, to hold thoroughly. To fondle, to grab, to take, and to inquire. Not just with your eyes, but, but with your hands. And so David is, he's taken by her beauty. How many of you know that I, I, I went really quickly from he's being careless to compromise? Whoa, there's not a step in between. No, compromise happens when you're careless with your convictions. Ooh, write that down. Compromise happens when you're careless with your convictions. See, most people think that compromise happens in the moment. Compromise happens the moment you never set convictions. Because if you get in a tough situation and you think you can set convictions in that tough situation, it's already over. Isn't that true? You set convictions beforehand. This is one of the wisest things a young, uh, um, I mean, excuse me, an older pastor told me as a young pastor. He said, you're about to start a church. And he presented me a covenant, a covenant that he wanted me and my wife to sign. And as I read the covenant, it said, I will not engage women in the office or out of the office one-on-one -on -one for counseling this, that, or the other. I will not do this. I will not. I will take my wife out on a weekly date. I will do this. I will do that. And that covenant was designed to create convictions prior to the what? Temptation. 
Because if you don't create the convictions and in your carelessness, you think you can come up with it on the spot, you've already compromised. Isn't that true? And so I can remember one time a lady was determined to meet with me. And I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I, I can't meet with you without my wife. So I'm going to have to, no, you're my pastor. You're going to meet with me. I said, I don't have to be your pastor. Because this pastor thing is a two-way street. Maybe I don't want to pastor you with that attitude. And she said, well, can you do that? Watch me. <laughs> See, sometimes we think that. You know, the choice is only on your side. Guess what? The choice is on my side. And I had a conviction. And I won't, I won't bend on that. And so, so this is important, guys, because David is not being personal, uh, purposeful. He's not, what, being mindful about his purpose. And now he's not being purposeful about his time why? He's just leisurely, lazily hanging around and lust is at the door now. This is important. David is making bad use of his time. His leisure has become a temptation of lust. And so I want you to go to Job 31 because the Bible addresses this. The Bible says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Notice, not to look at a young woman with lust. See, if you make that decision in your heart, the covenant is with the Lord. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will look at a woman with lust. Meaning, whoa, I'm out on the door, I'm out on the rooftop, I see her bathing, I turn away and I go inside and I go find something purposeful to do. Right? Find purposeful things to do. I set my things on the, I set my mind on the things of God. So I go and I distract myself with something good. But instead, he looks, and he beholds. Remember, he wants to hold. So, what happens? So David sent, here it is again, he sent. He's just there from all from his palace. He's sending Joab. Now he's sending, and he inquires about the woman, and someone says to him, his servant says to him, is this not Bathsheba? So I want you to, I want to ask you a couple questions. So David is in his palace. If you're the king, your rooftop is higher than anybody else's, isn't it? Because the king is always prominently positioned so he can see his entire city. Who lives next to you? Boom, your warriors, your most trusted warriors. Can I tell you who lives next to him? His mighty men. We've already talked about his mighty men. There's 30 in all. There's the trusted three, and then there's the 30. There's Benea, his uh, secret service uh, head. And so if this woman is within eyeshot, more than likely he knows exactly who she is. How do we know she, he knows exactly who she is? Watch the response of the servant. Is this not Bathsheba? Why are you asking me this? You know who she is. Everybody knows who she is. She's gorgeous. And then watch what he says. We know this is significant because the Bible doesn't usually use a woman's father when she's married. It will use the husband only. Why does the servant include the father too? He's trying to make it personal because the Bible is indicating that David is objectifying her. What does it mean to objectify somebody? You look at them as an object versus a person. 
He's looking at her as an object to what? Hold, to fondle, to grab. And the Bible is saying, no, 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 time out. She's a person. She's someone's daughter and she's someone's, come on, church. Isn't this true? But can I tell you something? Men aren't the only ones that objectify. It can happen in reverse, too. When you forget that there's more to someone than just using them. See, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam? He's one of your servants. And the wife of Uriah, one of your special forces guys, who's been with you from the times when you were running in the desert. Then David sent messengers. He took her, she came to him, and he laid with her. Notice how quickly it cascades. Careless, compromise, commitment. He commits the sin, and it happens this quick. Happens that quick. Come on. When you're super hungry, and you've been careless with your diet, and you go get that fast food, how quickly does it go down? Oh, man, it's on like Donkey Kong, right? And, I mean, you, you tear it up, and then you're like, oh, what did I do? Why did I do that? And so here, notice, sent, took her, came to him, he laid with her. All in one verse. The sin goes down in one verse. Now, notice, for she was cleansed from her purity. What does that mean? It means the Bible is indicating she had not been with her husband since her last menstrual. Then she returned to her house. He committed the sin. He committed it so quickly. Where did this come from? Now I want you to think about this because we saw this. We saw hints of David kind of getting careless. When? Do you remember that, that he was... He was betrothed to Saul's daughter, but he never called for her. Then he takes on a wife named Abigail after her husband dies. He's, he's totally okay in doing that. But then he, like the Bible throws in another girl too? Just lists a name. Like, like he got two for one special or something. It's like, can you do that? Is that okay? I mean, where do you get the idea, David, that you can have multiple wives? I know that, that you're familiar with this verse. Why? Because you know God's law. And God's law in Deuteronomy says, the king must not have many wives for himself. And the Bible just starts listing them like, man, they're multiplying. They're multiplying. So, so he has an eye for beautiful things, for women. And, and, and they're, they're fulfilling something in his heart. But maybe it should be something that God should fulfill. Come on. Be careful when you feel a need to fulfill yourself with something other than God. Because can I tell you, the enemy is a master psychologist. He'll watch you and he'll spend years setting you up. Years moving you a little bit at a time, setting you up. And it doesn't have to happen with just this sin. It can be a number of sins. He knows your weakness. He's like, what are you... What are you in the mood for? And so, so stay with me on this. Whoops. My computer's acting up here. Stay with me on this. Now watch, verse 5. And the woman conceived. So he 
lies with her, he has sex with her, then immediately she conceives, she has a baby. But notice what the Bible does. The Bible goes from calling her Bathsheba, so now she's just a woman. This wasn't love. This wasn't something, something good. Now she's just a woman. Do you realize she doesn't become Bathsheba again until God addresses her? And God says, no, 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 she's not a woman. She's my daughter. And this is what you've done, David. This is what you've done. Now, it's interesting because some people say at this point, yeah, but what was her part to play in it? And I've even heard some pastors go as far as saying, yeah, but she was seducing him and she was on her rooftop bathing and looking this way and that way. And, and she was this and she was that. No, no, she was where she was supposed to be. David was supposed to be where? He was supposed to be gone at war, not on his rooftop kind of, let me see what's going on. It's... In the evening, she's trying to get ready for bed. She's doing her thing. And many scholars even believe that she wasn't on her rooftop. She was probably inside, and he's peering through the window from his rooftop. We also know that when the prophet, in a minute, you're going to see the prophet, what? Condemns David and brings conviction to him. She call, he calls her a lamb. Lamb means innocent. And notice the Bible doesn't give any description other than she was bathing. David had an issue with it. What? He had lust in his heart and he did all the acting. The Bible is silent on her. So why do we try to put it on her? Just leave it where it is. It's not her. It's him. Now that doesn't mean that it's always the guy. It, can, it just means that you don't get to blame somebody else for what you do. Can I get an amen? Yeah. No, Pastor, this is hard. This is a lot of preaching. I wish you had more stories. Like, this is the best story. Amen. Amen. And so David finds out that she's pregnant and he sends, here it is again, sends word to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked, how's the peace? How's the peace of the troops? How's the peace of, because that's the word that's used in the Hebrew. How are you feeling? How are the, how's the mood? Notice, he's asking about the mood, and he's asking about their peace, and he's destroying it all the while. Mmm, mmm, mmm. What I think is funny is that when Joab gets the message, you want me to send one of my special forces guy with a common report? You think Joab knows something's up? He's been with David 20 years. You think he knows something's up? Oh, yeah, and that's what happens. So watch. And, and so David said to Uriah, go down to your house. Wash your feet. Take a load off. What does wash your feet mean? It's a, it's a, it's a custom. Go and refresh yourself, hoping that once you get cleaned up and you're refreshed, You'll get my gift, because watch, then the gift of food and wine come, and you can have a candlelight dinner and maybe cover up my, my sin. See, he's going to learn real quick that you can control the input, you can't control the output, you can control your actions, you won't always control the consequences. And if you reap, you will sow that very thing. And so here, Uriah does not sleep with his wife. He doesn't even go down to his house. He slept at the door of the king's house with all of his servants. And that's where he slept. 
So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go down to your house? What is David saying here? Dude, what's wrong with you? Come on, live it. Put it in your vernacular. What would, what would you see someone saying, what's wrong with you? Why don't you go clean, get cleaned up and have some R&R? And so he's being, he's implying that somehow Uriah has missed something. But watch, what David is implicit about, Uriah is explicit about. And what does Uriah say? Uriah says, the ark of the Lord and Israel, Judah, are dwelling in tents. My Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house, eat and drink, and break my vow with my wife? No. See, what Uriah is showing the king in a very straightforward way, the Bible is showing that, that Uriah is saying, reminding David, we know that we took a vow to abstain from this and to dedicate ourselves completely to God until the mission is over. And when the mission is over, then I will thank the Lord and go to my house and be with my wife. But not until then. Watch what he says. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Can I tell you, nothing is more annoying to a person living in sin like someone walking in righteousness. So don't be surprised if you walk in righteousness, if you annoy someone who's not. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today, also tomorrow, and I'll, sit, I'll let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem, and that, that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate with David at his table. Watch, he drank with him, and David made him drunk. What is he trying to do? He's trying to what? Compromise his faculties, hoping to compromise his conviction. Isn't that true? And Uriah shows that he's a man of principle through and through. Watch what happens here. And that evening he went down to his bed with the servants and did not go down to his wife's, to his house to be with his wife. See, David is learning that when you try to conceal sin, it only compounds. It grows. It gets bigger. Come on, can I get a witness, please? Anyone ever, ever, anyone ever noticed this? Maybe because you tried it intimately in your own life. I can remember lying to my dad about sneaking out. And the more I lied to him, the more he was on to me. And the more he was on to me, the more elaborate the lie got. Until he started praying, bring it to full light. And I'll never forget when my friend said, hey, you want me to pick you up in usual spot? I said, yeah, usual spot down by the corner. And me and my brother are sneaking out. And all of a sudden, we're on the rooftop above, above the porch. And I see my friend's uh, light blue Mustang right in the front. And my friend Victor's knocking on the door. And I hear my dad answer. And he says, Victor, they're asleep. 
and I'm on the rooftop. And he goes, well, he told me to pick him up. And I'm going, you stupid. So my brother tries to get back in, but we have to go around on the rooftop to the back window. Meanwhile, my dad's coming up the steps, and he comes up the steps right as my brother's coming in. And he sees the dummies in the bed. Sin concealed will compound. And so will the whoopings. And so David is careless. He compromises. He commits. He conceals. And now he's compounding. Why in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in this letter saying, set Uriah at the forefront of the hottest part of the battle. Retreat from him that he may be struck down and killed. I want him dead. So it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he did that, dropped down to the very end, and Uriah the Hittite died. He's, that's cold blood. He sent him with his own death warrant. So here we go. Joab sends word to David, but he gives the, the, the messenger very strict instructions. He said, when you go tell the king how the battle's going, tell him we lost some men. We got too close we did a careless thing, and he's going to get upset, but tell him Uriah's dead. How many of you know when you try to conceal and it starts to compound, innocent people get hurt, children get hurt, family gets hurt, you get hurt, you get hurt. Hey, can I tell you, this is not condemnation. This is saying, hey, if it happened to the very best, it can happen to anyone. And there is grace. There is grace. We're going to get to an amazing part in the story where there is grace. But we have to be willing to see this and say, how did David get there? Because the enemy is still using the same playbook. He's using the same playbook and he is sly and he is good at what he does. Good at what he does. And so he says, your servant Uriah is dead also. He tells him that. You see that at the end of 24, and your servant Uriah is dead. Three times it's declared he's dead. So I'm going to drop down to verse 25, and David sent message back. So he received the bad report. Now he sends this message back. Do not let this thing displease you. So he sends word to Joab saying, hey, cheer up. Don't let it displease you, Joab. Tell the troops that that's the way war is. War is a tough thing. And good people die. What does David think he's done? He's, he thinks he's covered it. So encourage him, he said. Encourage him. Now, I think it's funny that he used the word, don't let this displease you, because you want to know how the story ends in that chapter? The story ends with this word, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Isn't this interesting? He's sending word, hey, cheer up, cheer up, come on, it's all over with now, it's done, I know it was a dirty deed, I know, but let's just put it behind us and let's just, let's just have a good time and, and, and let's just move on. And, and, and God says, not so quick, what I saw, I saw it, I saw it. 
You think you've covered it. You think it's no big deal. You've taken her to be your wife. Right above that it says, and David sent and brought her to his house after she had completed mourning for her husband. And she became his wife and she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Because do you know the name Uriah means the Lord is light? And it's interesting because there's so many, there's so much texture to this story. It's like God is saying, you think that what you've done in darkness will remain in darkness. The man you killed means I am light. His name gives testimony to my character, God is saying. And when my light begins to shine, you won't be able to hide it. Does anybody see this? What is done in darkness, David, will come to Light, because I am light. Do you realize that every time Bathsheba's name is used, she's referred to by God as the wife of Uriah? That's a whole nother sermon. Let's keep going. So the next chapter starts this way. Then David sent, then the Lord, excuse me, then, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Who is Nathan? Nathan is the prophet in the land. And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city. One was rich and the other was very poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. He was wealthy. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished it. It grew up together with him and his children. He treated it as a child. Now watch this. It ate of his own food, it drank from his own cup, and it laid in his bosom. Notice, these are the exact same things that David was trying to get Uriah to do with his wife. Remember, he says, go and eat, drink, and sleep with your wife. The prophet is highlighting for David, I know what you did. But David doesn't get it, why? Because when you move from the Lord, what the Lord is light, you walk in darkness. And when you walk in darkness, you don't see real good. So David's having trouble seeing right now. Watch, watch, watch. And now watch this. It laid in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. You want to hear something really, really cool? The word daughter in, in Hebrew is bat. The word laid in the bosom or the word that's used for that is basha, bat shaba, bashiba. It's a play on words. The prophet is saying, I know what you did. God knows what you did. And he's calling you to account, but he's walking in. He can't see it yet. Watch this. So this is what happens. The rich man has a traveler coming in. Instead of taking one of his own flock to provide for him, he goes and takes the poor man's sheep. And he gives it and he uses it as his own. Watch what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, so David's anger was greatly aroused against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man uh, who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity on this poor man. And then Nathan the prophet turns to him and says, you are that man. Wow. I've been there before the Lord and complaining about Pastor Melissa one time. I was young, I was young, 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 young. I said, man, this woman you gave me, Lord. 
she's so hard and she's so this and she's just tough to deal with. And you know what? You need to to help me. You need to help me, Lord, because, well, I need your help. (laughs) And I'll never forget as I prayed that prayer, love, and I've told you before. I was was sharing all the things that I thought she was doing wrong. And God said, you're the problem. Your wife reflects what you put in. And this is what you're bringing to the table. And so be careful when you're so quick to notice what everybody else is doing, but you have no discernment for yourself. And so he says, He says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had not been enough, if that had been too little, I also would have given you so much more. Why have you despised the command of the Lord? Why did you do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite by the sword. Now notice what David had done. David had said what? This is, the, this is war. He had put it on something else, right? But notice what God does. He brings it home. It's like God is bringing a fresh, hot, deliverable Domino's pizza. Ding dong to your door. Here's your Domino's pizza. You ordered some conviction. Here we go. Here we go. Watch what he does. He says, he says you killed him with the sword. Whose sword? The sword of the people of Amnon. You used them as your sword, but you killed him. You killed him. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because of your, because you have despised me. And then he goes on to say, you're going to pay four times just the way you declared it. Isn't it interesting that God let him declare his own judgment? And I firmly believe if David had not repented that day, God would have taken him home. This is a beauty of repentance. Watch, you're going to get it. It's, it's, it's about to shift. We're about to turn on a dime and head towards grace, head towards the cross. Watch. Watch how beautiful God is. Are you ready? You ready to see how beautiful God is? Watch what happens. And what I want you to understand is that God, for up until now, David has been a hero. He's been a superhero. He's killing giants. He's killing tens of thousands. He's doing everything he touches just wins. Isn't that true? And so it's easy to start what? idolizing him and maybe in your heart you're like man David 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 and God is saying no 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 only one Jesus the son of David not David because you see that even the hero falls in such a horrible way and needs the love of Christ needs the love of Christ you say what are the you're gonna see four of his children die because he pronounced it And you're going to see what you did in darkness. Your son, when he tries to take over your kingdom on that same rooftop, will disgrace you by sleeping with your wives on that rooftop. And everyone's going to see. Not because God was doing it, but because sin has consequences. And what David had trouble with, he thought I could do something and then manipulate it. How many of us know you can handle the inputs, you can't what? 
determine the outputs. You can control the actions. You can't control the consequences. And so God was saying, you set something in motion because this is what happens. When you turn away from me, it has consequences on your children. So the best thing we can do is to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Heal me of my sin and heal my family. Heal my family, Lord. I want to lead as a father. And you're going to see that some of the consequences are because he fell, he didn't know how to walk in the confidence of the Lord. Many of the things that he did later on, he didn't handle his children right because he felt unworthy. And some of us, when we feel unworthy, we don't step up and become the parents we're called to be. We say, well, I don't have the right to say this because I did so and so. God forgave you. Step up and be the dad you're called to be. Be the mother you're called to be. Don't walk in shame. It doesn't work. God, the enemy will use your shame and guilt against you. Put it at the foot of the cross, nail it to the cross, leave it there, and walk in righteousness, confident as a parent should be. Amen? That's another message. Keep going with me. So David turns to Nathan and says, I have sinned against the Lord. This is where we finish. I have sinned against the Lord. Come on, somebody needs to get excited about this. I know when I read this, I just wept because I'm like, man, Lord, I'm worse than David. I've walked away from your precepts. I've walked in pride. I've walked in, in my own arrogant way. And here, the Bible is showing me with the words, Lord, I have sinned against you. Look at the next statement. The Lord also has passed over, put away your sin. You shall not die. Notice, you shall not die. Why? Because you repented and you trusted in the Lord. This is salvation. Lord, I've sinned. Isn't that what you do when you come to Jesus? Say, Lord, I've sinned. I put my trust in you. Save me from my sins. And watch what God does. He passed over. He didn't just, he didn't just act like it didn't happen. See, sin has to be atoned for. It has to be accounted for. Because God is a righteous judge. And God puts that on who? He puts it on Jesus. Jesus is the way of salvation. Those in the Old Testament look forward in faith. We look back in faith, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the Passover lamb. What did John the Baptist say? Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh man, be, be girded up in strength right now. Say, Lord, yes, I've sinned, but you, you took that sin and I will not die. I will live forever with you in heaven in glory. Now, he does say you will have to face the consequences, but from here on out, I want you to know I love you. This is different from the way Saul approached forgiveness. When the prophet Samuel came to him and said, this is what the Lord says, Saul says, oh, please forgive me and, and honor me. Honor me, Samuel. Let's not make that big a deal. Come with me so that the people can see we have that solidarity still. And then he says this, he says, it was because of the people's pressure. 
Notice what David doesn't say. This is just a pure, unadulterated what? Repentance. He didn't say, well, it was because she was sexy and she did this and you should have seen her. She was tempting me. He didn't say, well, it was my friends or it was this or it was that or Lord, you left me. He owned it and he received God's forgiveness. Now watch the way the story ends, at least the way I'm going to end it in verse 24. And that David comforted Bathsheba once. The first death happened in their family. The little boy they had, they had conceived in sin died. And he comforts her. And, and so she bore another son. They called him Solomon. Do you realize the word Solomon means peace? God gave him that name. said, I want you to know there's peace between us. Come on, I want you to know that, if, that when we sin and we come back to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And it happens just like that. Do you, do you realize some people have trouble with that? David says, I'm sorry, I've sinned. And God says, okay, let's move on. You're going to face some consequences, but I love you. There's going to be peace between us. Come on, how many of us are bothered by that sometimes? You know what's so interesting? We always gripe about how harsh God is in the Old Testament, but when he shows mercy, we're like, I think you should be harder. You know what's funny? It's always we want him to be harder with others, but what if you need that mercy? Oh, you want him to be abundant in mercy. And the truth is he is abundant in mercy if you only ask. If you only ask. So if you're here today and you're like, I feel far from the Lord. It's because of you, not because of him. Because if you come to him with, look at David's words. He just says, I've sinned. And God says, you're going to live. And I'm going to have peace with you. And watch his next, he gives him this name by the prophet. He says, I want you to name him Solomon Jedidiah. And Jedidiah means beloved of Yahweh. What is God saying to David? You're forgiven. You are restored. The consequence will happen. The consequences are going to happen. But I want you to know there's peace between us and I love you. I love your children. I love your family. I am for you. Come on, someone needs to gird up in the Lord right now and say, thank you, God. Thank you. No more shame. No more guilt. No more anything. I can walk in freedom. There's peace between me and you because you passed it over and you put it on Jesus. And today you see me as you see Christ, the beloved of God. I want you to know that Solomon represented in a way the offspring of, of, of David, right? The offspring of David would ultimately be Jesus, the Savior of the world. How did God refer to Jesus when he was baptized? He said, behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's telling David, you're my beloved. He's telling you, you're my beloved. Come on, someone needs to grab this in their heart. You're my beloved. You're my beloved. Because this is, I truly believe, what happened to David in that he never became the parent he was called to be because he carried some guilt and shame and he never stepped into his role 
as a beloved, forgiven man of God. But that shouldn't be like that for us. Today we finish with this. God loves you. God loves you. And even if a great hero like David can fall, don't beat yourself up, you can too. And so the response should be simple. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, God. True repentance right now, Lord. Forgive me. And God will say there's peace. I put that sin on my son and I nailed it to the cross. So walk as a beloved. Walk as someone dearly loved. Raise your children that way. Speak that way. Live that way. Grab hold of God's hand and say, oh Lord, it feels good to walk with you, amen. And it's because of Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Your blood washes us white as snow. Thank you, Lord. Until you return, Lord, we walk in faith. Church, I love you. I pray that this was a blessing to you. I know it was heavy. It was a lot to cover and we covered a lot of verses. But were you blessed? To God be the glory. Be encouraged this week.